you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 17 through 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through, actually through 38, 38. And again, Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you had a wonderful New Year. It's, been, uh, it's, a, it's, uh, it's always uh, great to start off with a new year because it's, kind of, it's a time for new starts. You know, man, if uh, 2021 was, was great, well, praise the Lord for that. Uh, but if it wasn't so great, well, hey, it's 2022, and you get to start, uh, get to start anew and uh, get to start with new hope. And many of you are here probably uh, with new resolutions that you made, perhaps, new resolutions to walk with the Lord, to, to, uh, to uh, serve Him, maybe new resolutions in how you might live as a, as a person in this world, as a, uh, as a sojourner in this world, as a father, as a mother, and perhaps as a, as a follower of Christ, and pray that um, that this morning would be a, just part of how the Lord will help us to, to start fresh anew this year. Last month during Christmas time, we preached on Christ. Not very fitting, it was his birth, right? So we, we preached that in Christ's birth, in his life, in his death and resurrection, that Christ is essential uh, for our salvation uh, and life. And since Christ is essential, then it made sense that the church is essential, that the churches of Jesus Christ are essential uh, because the church alone of all the organizations of this world, uh, all the businesses of the world, corporations, whatever you want to call it, groups, it alone is tasked with proclaiming Jesus Christ. This month, with the understanding then that the church is essential because Christ is essential and Christ needs to be proclaimed, then this morning I want to uh, look at, uh, particularly for us, a brief series on how the church is essential. Uh, that uh, I'll call it the essential church. What is the, what is, if you will, essential to the church of Jesus Christ? What does the church need? What is uh, required for her to accomplish her purposes? You know, the church, as we learn, proclaims Jesus Christ to the world. But that is not the whole purpose of the church. Uh, we here at Essa Bible and many other churches would understand that the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to make disciples. And making disciples involves proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world. Essa Bible, our, we, our stated purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. It's a real simple statement. It's pretty basic. It's not real flashy at all. But it encapsulates the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Well, so what is necessary for the church, then, to fulfill the Great Commission? What is it necessary for us, you and me, that we need to make disciples of Jesus Christ so that we might proclaim Christ? What is, if, if we were to look at every church, and if every church shares this common purpose, if we were to look at every church, what is essential for every church? What if we go and visit every faithful church, our local church out there, what would we find common to all of them? What is the essential church? And that is the title of our series. Now, if you've been with us for a while, any number of years, you might have, these uh, subjects are not new to you. In fact, you've been into probably a faithful Bible teaching church. This whole subject would not be new to you, I, I would hope. But every year, we begin our year with a, a series on the mission, vision, values of SF Bible, and we're going to do that again this year. But instead of focusing on mission or vision, I want to focus on the values of SF Bible, the values of SF Bible. And we sometimes call these values the building blocks of SF Bible. Sometimes we call them the, the DNA of the local church. Or, um, and truly, every local church, every faithful local church should find these markers in the ministries, in the programs, in the people of that church in some way. What are the identifying marks? These are the identifying marks of a church of Christ. 
And these are the marks that the Lord uses for building up and developing in his church. This morning, we're going to examine how the Lord basically uses, as we'll see by the title, uh, that the essential church, what is essential for the church is the word of God. And I uh, <laughs> uh, know that here at San Francisco Bible Church, uh, we are preaching to the choir. You would, you, know, you would probably not choose to come here if you didn't want the Bible, the Word of God taught. Uh, and, but uh, nevertheless, it is always good for us to remind ourselves. Because because we are a Bible church, it is very easy for us to take for granted the Bible. It's easy simply because we have Bible in our name. Or maybe because somebody stands up here every week and teaches the Bible. That we automatically assume that we're living out the Bible. But it does not always happen that way. And uh, hopefully this will be a charge, this message will be just a great time for us to reflect upon our view of the Word of God, and our, not only corporately, but also personally. What do I think about the Bible? What, how do I perceive it? How do I depend upon it? How do I relate to it? Um, may it remind us as a church to always look to God and His Word for our own growth individually, as well as our growth corporately as a body. Now, this morning I want to look at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is fitting because, as you, many of you have studied the book of Acts, it's really about the growth of the church. It's about the, how the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and causes the growth of the church. As the word of God spreads, the church grows. And one of the key characters in the growth of the church was the Apostle Paul. He, who had once been a persecutor of the church, uh, became a, uh, a, a preacher of the church of, of Christ. And he was used to establish many churches of Christ all throughout Asia Minor, outside of Judea, outside Jerusalem, into Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, as well as into Europe or Greece. And on his third and final missionary journey, which is where our passage takes place today, he was heading back to Jerusalem. And he knows he's heading back to Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested. So in this passage, we, we find recorded for us Paul's final words to one of the churches that he had established, the church of Ephesus. And he speaks to the elders of the church of Ephesus in this passage. And as you think about it, these are his, going to be his final words to them. They're not going to see his face again. What instructions, what counsel would he leave with them? And as we study this passage, we discover that the counsel or the, uh, the instruction that he leaves with them is an emphasis on depending and looking to God and his word. He commends them to God and his word, which is sufficient for their continued growth, even as he will not see them again. And so as we outline our past today, we can kind of apply for our church today, today, or even the Church of Christ today, three reasons for why the church needs the Word of God. Why the three reasons for why the church needs the Word of God. And reason number one, we find in the first part of our passage, verse 17 to 27, is that the Word of God proclaims the purpose of God. We need the Word of God because in the Bible, it proclaims to us the purposes of God. The, the, some of your translators have the, the counsel of God, the plan of God, the will of God. And then those are all different aspects of this word that's translated purpose here. Let's look at verse 17 to 27 to get the uh, context of the story. And we'll be just kind of highlighting various verses here uh, in our passage today. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 27. From Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks 
of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Again, we, this Paul on his third missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's not going to see, he tells these, these Ephesian elders he's, they're not going to see his face again. So he kind of knows it's a final moment with them. It's the last words he's going to have with them. Uh, many times you've had opportunities to say farewell to someone, you don't plan to see them again. There's a, there's, a, there's a significance to those last words that you might say to them. And so he calls, he doesn't have a chance to go into Ephesus directly. But he stops in Miletus and he calls the, the elders of Ephesus, that's not too far away, to come to meet him in Miletus. And there as he talks to the elders of Miletus, as he gives them his final words, what does he do? He begins, we find out here, by basically reflecting upon his ministry with them. He kind of reviews with them the, the time he had with them. Paul had spent a total of three years ministering in the church of Ephesus. And he reflects upon his ministry as, a, as a, ultimately a basis for the, for the charge that he's going to give them a little bit later in the text. So what characterizes his ministry as he reflects upon it? The word of God. The preaching and teaching the words of Christ or the word of God. Look at verse 20. And we'll see, just kind of highlight a couple of things that he emphasizes. In verse 20 of Acts, uh, of Acts chapter 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. See, Paul's ministry involved declaring, involved telling people, involved preaching or proclaiming things that were, as he described, profitable. That means that were beneficial, that were good for you, he says. I, his ministry involved teaching the things that were good for the Ephesian people and, that involved this, and these things and involved the, his teaching both publicly, probably in a gathering like today, like us, or as well as house to house, privately. So what was this thing that was so beneficial, these things that are beneficial that Paul would teach uh, over a period of three years to, uh, in both, both publicly as well as privately? Verse 21, this profitable teaching involved solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He witnesses basically to Jews and Greeks, that is basically to everyone. All kinds of people, as in Ephesus, had all kinds of people. He says, I preached to everyone, both publicly, both privately, what was good for them. And what was good for them was the message of faith, of repentance toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's really two, two messages, two elements to this. To repent, that is to turn away from sin toward God. And secondly, to have faith or to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are, as we've studied perhaps in other messages, these are two sides of the coin in our response to the gospel message. That when you hear about Jesus Christ, when you hear the good news of Christ, there is, there's a response that you must make towards, towards the gospel message, towards Christ. That is, you must repent, you must turn away from sin, and you must believe. And sometimes in our gospel presentation, we use the word repent, repent and be saved, or we might just simply say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
uh, at least the, the Gospels would, and the apostles use it in, almost interchangeably. And there are times where the both are used, as uh, Jesus does in Mark 1.16, repent and believe in the Gospel. But these are two sides of response to a, to a message. A few verses later in verse 24, Paul summarizes that, that message, that ministry, that he was charged by the Lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In the next verse, in fact, in verse 25, he calls it the preaching the kingdom. You see, what is good for the people of Ephesus, what is good for Jews and Greece, what is worthy to be taught both publicly and privately is this message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. It is a, to testify of the gospel of God's grace. It is to preach the kingdom of God. Paul's ministry was a message of proclamation. It was proclaiming. It was teaching others about the gospel, of how one can enter into the kingdom of God through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's ministry. It was a ministry of the words of Christ, or the words about Christ, as well as the word of God. And Paul recaps this ministry in verse 26 and 27. He puts this final cap on. He says, he writes in verse 26, he is, I testify to this today, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27, why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. Paul's using imagery here when he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. He's using imagery from Ezekiel 33. And I know most of us may not think of that right, right away, what that is. But it's the imagery of a watchman. Paul there tells Ezekiel and the prophets to be like watchmen. These were night guards. They were responsible to stand on the walls or stand at the doors of the city gates. And they would keep an eye out for danger that might attack the city or the town at night. And it was their responsibility to warn whenever there was danger. And if they warned whenever there's danger and then people had opportunity to flee, they saved their lives. If they warned and they didn't want to flee, well, that's, they're innocent of the blood of all men because they shouted and proclaimed the warning. But if they failed and they did not warn the people and they died, the blood of those who died are upon the watchmen, and God would hold them accountable. God would bring them to justice for their failure to watch out. So Paul recaps his ministry by saying that he's innocent of the blood of all men because he has proclaimed the whole purpose of God. He's said everything that needs to be said as a watchman who watches out for approaching danger. He's faithfully warned all the people. He's faithfully made known God's purpose and plan to save a people for his kingdom. He has warned them of their danger. He's declared to them the way of salvation through Christ. He has called them to repent and believe in Jesus. In fact, Acts uh, chapter 19, verse 10, during Paul's ministry, we learned that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul was faithful to proclaim the message to everyone he had opportunity to proclaim. And that's a challenge to us, you know. Think about it. If, if God were to hold you and I at account, you and me account one day, when we, you know, and how faithful we were to, to tell others of the danger that was approaching them, I think all of us would find ourselves falling short. As many, and the, and it's, it's, hopefully it's not a guilt, it's purely a guilt for you, but it's encouragement to you to continue to strive to proclaim Jesus Christ, warns of the coming danger, warn of the God provision of salvation. The Lord commissioned Paul, the Lord commissioned the apostles to proclaim his purpose and plans to save mankind. But the apostles, and, and like Paul and Peter and John, they're no longer on earth. And we have no more apostles on this earth. Anyone who claims to be apostles is lying. Okay? They did not see Jesus. They did not see his, risen, his death and resurrection. There is no such thing as apostles today. But what we have is better. 
For in the Bible, in this book, we have the words of the apostles. We have the words of the apostles. We especially have the words of Jesus Christ recorded for us. And God has preserved in the Bible all the words of the apostles and the prophets and of Christ. And they, in this book, in its totality, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, reveals to us the purpose and plan of God to save mankind. And that's, that's really what's this. If you look at this book, it's, it's, you see that overarching theme. You see, the church needs the word of God today because it proclaims the purpose and plan of God to save mankind. And this is the book that we, we need to tell others about. It tells us why we need saving. It tells us how we're, we, we can't save ourselves. It tells us how God alone saves. It tells us how God provides salvation for us in his son. It tells us how we can be saved by repenting and believing. It tells us how to live even as those who are saved. And it tells us most importantly of our hope and the destiny of those who are being saved today. That it's not that we die and we perish, but we die and we have life eternal in the presence of the Lord. All these things we cannot learn from anywhere else. You say, well, hold up, I think I read that in a book somewhere. Well, if you read in a good Christian book, maybe, uh, then, then, that might, that's, then that's a good thing. But you know what? Every Christ, good Christian book out there, it's only good because it's explained to you what's in this book. They're only good because they are basically teaching us the Word of God. They're explaining it to our day, to our circumstances, to our time, to our, the, in our language. Every Christian book is simply a secondary source. The Bible is the primary source. God's purpose and plans. If the church is to be faithful, as Paul, as Paul was, then we need the word of God so that you and I, we may proclaim the word of God to, to the world who needs to know how to be saved. If we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we need the word of God. It has to come from this book. And so we need the word of God because it proclaims the purpose of God. Now, secondly... The church needs the word of God because it protects the flock of God. It protects the flock of God. In verse 28 and 31, Paul gives a charge, a charge to, uh, to the Ephesian elders. Look at verse 28 and 31 with me. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul, having reflected on his ministry to the Ephesian church, Paul, he now calls the Ephesian elders to, to respond. He calls them to be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock. Take care of yourselves. Be on the alert. He's using, again, continuing the imagery of the watchman. Be watchful. Be alert. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock. There's dangers, he says, that you need to watch out for in your own life. And there are dangers that you need to watch out for in the life of the, the flock that God has put you in, that God has put you as a shepherd of. As elders of Christ Church, these elders were, had been made overseers. That means they had responsibility over the well-being of the flock. They were to act as shepherds. By the way, that word shepherd is, is another word for, is sometimes translated as pastor. That's what pastor means. Pastor means a shepherd. To act as a shepherd of the church of God. And notice it says to, that they are to be on guard to shepherd the church of God, church of God. 
is not to shepherd your church or shepherd our church, but to shepherd the church of God because it is God who purchased this church with his own blood. Paul warns the elders that after his departure, why does, uh, that the reason they, they need to be on guard for themselves and for the, for the flock is because wolves are going to come in to devour the flock. You know, uh, um, Jesus, and this is not just something that Paul came up with. Jesus himself uh, taught this as well. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, uh, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Wherever there is a flock, where there are sheep, there are going to be those who prey on sheep, predators. There are going to be wolves. Uh, in our area, if we had sheep, they, the coyotes would probably get them, or the mountain lions or the cougars that we have roaming around our neck of the wood. But he charges these believers to, to so Paul charges these believers to watch out for the wolves. How will these wolves come and devour the flock? Paul, elab- Paul expresses that men from without, and yes, even within the church are going to arise. And these wolves will rise and they will speak perverse things. Now, when we hear that word perverse things, we think of maybe sexual perversion. But this word perversion really means, it's the idea that it means crooked. That it's, it's a biblical perversion. That, that the, the wolves coming in to devour are not going to come in physically devour, but they're going to come in spiritually devour. And this is going to take place as they come, the men will come in, teachers will come in, false prophets as Jesus calls them, are going to come and they're going to speak things that are perverse, that are crooked, that are not straight, and they do not line up with what the words of Christ say or what the word of God says. They will be like Satan who will take scriptures and and just twist it just enough to deceive. Has God really said that? Did he really say that? It will sound good, but the purpose of these these wolves that come in is because they will want to draw the flock away from Christ and to them. You know, there are two things that make a, a church vulnerable to our wolves. And there's probably others, but two things that I thought about is the first thing that, that makes a church vulnerable to wolves is when the church, when the flock, elevates the words of men over the words of God. When we elevate the words of men over the words of God. Now, it's common um, today, especially on social media, that we like to quote people, right? We like to quote this one. You know, you say, oh, man, that, you know, you're on uh, Instagram probably. You say, oh, man, that was a good G.K. Chesterton. Who's G.K. Chesterton? You know, oh, that was a great quote. Oh, here's a great quote by John MacArthur. Here's a great quote by Alistair Begg. Oh, here's a really good quote from Pastor Henry Tam. Okay, I haven't seen that one too much. But, uh, but you know, we like to quote people. We quote a lot. Francis Chan, another one. Oh, we quote all sorts of people. We quote our favorite preachers and teachers, and we just quote them left and right on Instagram. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But there is a, there's a, there's a potential danger when we quote men, and, and we quote their words, and we say, oh, they said it so well. And really the question is, do I, if we quote them, but do not think about what they say, is what they say actually reflective of what Scripture says? If we don't, sometimes we check our brains, we don't think about it. Is that really biblical? And if we don't think about it, whether that's biblical, if we don't compare it with God's word, if we just allow them to accept their word for what it is and without comparing with the scriptures, then we elevate the words of men over the words of God. We become susceptible to deception. 
You know, I hope it never happens in this church where basically people start, people start quoting me left and right. So, you know, hey, Pastor Henry said this. Pastor Henry said that. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, you know I am uh, I'm not worthy of quoting, but God's word is worthy of quoting. You know, we don't want to be a church where we're guided by the, the traditions and the convictions of, of a man or a woman as you're of someone else instead of Christ. And what's more, when we, we know we're... Uh, any, any teacher comes along and starts to say, tells you that you need to listen to their words and only their words, that they're a false prophet, okay? They're wolf. Don't listen. They're deceiving you. But all faithful teachers, and we, many of us are teachers in this room, not just pastors teach, but elders teach. Uh, you know, many of you are Sunday school teachers, children's workers. They, you teach. Whereas parents, we teach. As people who are living in our community, we, we teach the word of God. All of us have to be careful for what we speak. As faithful teachers, we must point people to not our words, but to the words of Christ. So teaching them to the word of God so that people can look in the Bible themselves. Hopefully everything even I'm saying to you, you will compare it with the word of God that is before you. Wolves want you to follow them. And that's why they speak their, their, deceptive, their deceptive lies. But faithful shepherds, faithful teachers will want you to follow them as they follow Christ. They'll point back to the word of God, to the words of Christ. There's a second thing that I believe makes us susceptible to, uh, uh, to being led astray by wolves is when, basically, when we allow a sole person, one particular person, to have more authority than anyone else in the church. We let one person, so it's kind of like related to the words, but, when, but it's, it's different. We, it's talking about authority. When we give someone power to, like, uh, that uh, and it usually happens. It's usually well. It's usually the guy who preaches here in the, in the pulpit of every local church. It usually, but it, it can be others. But when a soul person has greater authority than others, usually that leads to, and that can potentially lead to abuse. Um, this, by the way, just as a as a related note, this is one of this passage. One of those few places where you find the term elder, the elders of Ephesus. You find them as overward overseers, and you find the word shepherd or pastor all found in the same passage. First uh, Peter 5 is another one of those passages. But these kind of passages indicate to us that really pastors, elders, overseers, whatever you call them, they're really the same group of people. And that there are a plurality of these men in every local church. And there's a purpose in that. And God in his wisdom has that. You know, our corporations, who leads the corporations? The CEO, you know. Or the chairman of the board, you might say. They have the final say, the final authority. But, and, and we sometimes think that's the church. Oh, who has the final say in the church? Pastor Henry or, you know, yeah, Pastor Henry or some other person. That's wrong. The final say is really Christ, but the final say is the elders of a church. That I, alongside with the other elders of a church, share the authority. We share authority in leading Christ's church. Yes, we tend to give more weight to the, the one who preaches the word of God, and the one who teaches the word of God more tends to have the authority, but that's because it's authority of God's word. It's not because of the authority of, of my, my, uh, my particular responsibility or charge. And yes, there are times where I am given authority over the other elders in certain areas, like over our staff, for instance. But that is a delegated authority from our corporate board of elders, our group of elders. They delegate that authority to me. They check me. So whenever any one leader in the church, whether it's an elder level, pastor level, or even just a lay person, when any one person has more authority, unchecked authority, than anyone else, that, that, it leads, that leads a church to be susceptible to wolves, especially when that wolf is the one who has that unchecked authority. 
See, when Christ has unchecked authority, but that's because he's Christ and perfect and good. But we human beings, we can be sinful. Even the most well-meaning person, when given unchecked authority, can at times use that authority in a way that does not honor God. And we want to be watchful for that. Because as leaders, we need to be on guard for ourselves because we're susceptible to that. <laughs> to not think more highly of ourselves that we forget that we're merely one shepherd among other shepherds in God's flock. And it's God's flock, not our flock. And so the, God's flock needs God's words, not our words. God's flock needs God's will, not our will. God's flock needs the Spirit's conviction, not our own convictions. We're to be on guard for our lives, brother, brothers and sisters, and for the lives of those in trusted charge so that when wolves come in, we can be prepared, we have faithfully, we have faithfully fulfilled our ministry and given them the word of God, they'll be protected from danger. We must be vigilant to teach God's people God's word so that they will, I love our teaching systematic theology because as we're teaching God's word, it creates a, like a, a systematic, a grid, we'd say. It's a grid by which when people listen to other things that are taught, they'll think that's what the Bible teaches. And that will be, it'll, it, our, we'll kind of have this, this kind of maybe a, a figurative red light kind of flash when someone says something that doesn't quite match with, with our, the system of theology that we've developed. And we can look back then and say, to God's word, is that really true? And compare it because God's word ultimately is the guide by which tells us what is error and what is true. Wolves will be subtle and shy. And they will use scriptures and, but a perversion of it to lead people to follow them. So we need the word of God. We need to understand it. We need to teach it. We need to preach it, proclaim it. We need to equip people with it so that the flock of God and ourselves, we ourselves, won't be easily led astray by wolves who come to seek to lead us to follow them instead of Christ. It alone is our standard. The, word of, the church of God needs the word of God because it protects the flock of God. The greatest thing that, uh, that any of us can do as leaders is to give the word of God to you because the word of God is that which will protect you. And this leads us to the third reason why we need the word of God. It leads us to the third reason because the, we need, the church needs the word of God because it powers the church of God. It powers the church of God. Verse 32 to 38, we read this in the word. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord. Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Here we find Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders, knowing that they're not going to see his face again. And uh, what does the Ephesian elders and the church need to most hear from Paul as he departs? What do they need when their spiritual father is leaving? What must they know to face the, the dangers from within and the dangers from without that are going to come in and seek to destroy the church. He's not going to be there for them. So what does he leave with them? What, what does he, who does he point them to? Verse 32 is the key, uh, is the key uh, verse in this whole passage. Paul commends the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian church, 
in their charge. He says, to God and to the word of his grace in verse 32. The verb command means to, to give over. He says, I'm not going to be here to, you, to watch over you anymore, but I'm handing you over. I'm entrusting you to God and to his word. It's entrust, it uses entrusting someone to the care or protection of someone else. The apostle entrusts the Ephesian church to the care and protection of God and his word. Whatever the wolves may try to do, the, the, Ephes, the elders of the church are to look to, to God and his word and no one else. Paul doesn't say, you know, I'm, I'm going to leave now, so I want you to just remember me. Remember how, all that I've taught you. Remember my words to you. Paul doesn't say, hey, look to Peter and look to John. Look to, look to the other apostles. He doesn't say, look to another church. Look to the church of Jerusalem for your help. He says, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. He commends him to God and God's word alone. God's, Paul's word here um, is an expression of the doctrine that we call the sufficiency of scriptures. He says, I'm not going to be with you, but you know what you need? You need God. And you need his word. His word is powerful enough to defend against the wolves that are going to come in and try to destroy Christ's church. God's word alone has all that we need for life, for godliness, for strength and protection and defense against the dangers from without and within. Paul would write a very similar thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, a familiar text for all of us. All scripture inspired by God and prophet for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, right? Everything that God would have us be ready for to do in this world, he, God has given us the scriptures for that would teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us up so that we'll be equipped, we'll be, we'll be sufficient, we'll be ready for whatever work we face, no matter how challenging it may be. If you were limited to study only one book in your whole life, the Bible is that book. With this book, you have everything you need for life and godliness. It will teach you how to live, how to work, how to worship. No other book will come close. This book. Paul recognizes its power. That's why he says, I commend you to the God and his word which is able, he says. That, that word able is one word from which we get dynamic or dynamite. That there's energy, there's power in the word of God. It's what's more in the, grammatically, it's a present participle. So it's a, it's a continual power. It's not just power that gets you started. It's not like just like the word of God just gave you a shove and then, you know, you're on your own. The word of God is continually powering us all the way through. It is constant power. It's constantly available to build us up. That word build up is the imagery of a building. Uh, it means to build up a, a building. It has the power to build up a building. It's, sometimes we translate as edify. It has power to edify you. In other words, it has power to make you grow as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, and makes you, gives you power to grow as a church corporately. God's word powers the building up and the growth of his church. But more importantly, most importantly, as Paul include, writes in, his, in his, this text, it ensures to you the inheritance of eternal life with Christ in heaven through faith in Christ. See, this, this book, most importantly of all, has the message of salvation. 
And, it, and because it's written, it's a promise. And as long as our faith and hope remain upon Christ God's promises, that is the assurance of our salvation because it's faith in God and God alone to save. Nowhere else in this world, and it's funny, I was studying this passage this week, and I was going to preach on the Word of God, and, I, and I'm preaching on the Word of God, but I was, you know what I was most gripped with this week as I was studying this Word? I was just most gripped by the gospel, by the fact that, oh, the Lord, in his wisdom and providence and knowledge, revealed the gospel to me in this book, and he revealed the gospel, I trust to you from this book, that this book, as long as there is this book, you know, Christ, you know, the world may wipe away San Francisco Bible Church. He may wipe away every Christian on the planet of this earth, but his word is in forever. And as long as this book is here, anyone who picks this book up and reads it with a heartfelt seeking of the Lord will find the way of escape, the way of salvation through this book. I praise the Lord for the salvation that we have. For we can only know it through this book. This book reveals God's grace towards mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. This book has the power to save. It has the power to cause us to grow. It has the power to build up this church. It's not found in our possessions. You know, don't get confused when we get our church family meeting. We say, oh, we got X million dollars down. Oh, we got a lot of money to grow this church. No, that money can not grow the church. You can have no money and you can still grow this church because we have the word of God. Don't get confused by all the programs we started. You know, I love that new announcement. You could have all sorts of beautiful programs in the church and ministry in the church, but those do not grow the church of God. The word of God in the life of a believer grows individual believers, and it grows the church. Programs are just ways that we allow that to happen. And it's, by the way, and it's never, ever through any one man. God will strike me down dead right now. Could. Strike down every elder, every teacher here. And this church will still grow. Why? Because the word of God is your possession. It's the possession. And this is, the word of God is the power. It powers the church to grow. God and his word alone. And let us not confuse. And though the Lord uses our possessions, the Lord uses our program, the Lord uses our people, certainly. He graciously does. But let us never forget that it's the word of God that grows his church. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but... Uh, ooh, yeah. That's, a, that's my mic saying amen. <laughs> Let me end with you this uh, last, just a, a beautiful illustration from God's word. In John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17, uh, perhaps familiar to many of you, it was the risen Christ appearing to Peter. And you know that Peter uh, had, before, during Christ's uh, trials, denied Jesus three times. I don't know any of that man. No, I, I'm not one of them. I swear that God may strike me down if I know that person. I don't know that person. I'm not with him. I'm not of him. I did not follow him. And in, in each case, Peter basically did not. He basically said he hated. He admitted that he hated Christ. He forsook Christ. He abandoned Christ. But Jesus in his love came to Peter and he appealed to him. And he, he comes to restore him because well, Jesus is, is, a, is a gracious and loving God. And he's a loving Savior for all of us. And he, and he comes and he asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me? And what does Peter answer? Three times, you know his response. He says, Lord, three times Peter says, Lord, you know I do. Yes, Lord, I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know I do love you. Three times, 
In response to Peter's confession of his love towards Christ, Jesus then charges him. I know NAS says tend, but I like what the, many other translations when it says, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. That the, Jesus in his charge to Peter says to him, you know, you love me? Then take care of my flock. Take care of the people that I'm going to entrust to your charge. And how do you take care of them? How do you shepherd them? By feeding them. Feeding them food? No. But feeding them the word of God, the words of Christ. Give them what they need for their growth. Give them what they need for that they will be strong. Give them what they need so they'll be protected. Long when you're gone, that they'll still have the word of God and that they will, as a church, grow. Give them God's word. Give them my words. And we, if we love Jesus Christ, from whatever role we may have as a church, as a part of the church, as we're teachers of the word of God, as we communicate truth to the world or truth within the body of Christ, let us respond in love by feeding and teaching the word of God. For the church needs the word of God because, number one, it proclaims the purpose of God to save. It protects, secondly, it protects the flock of God from those who seek to destroy it. And thirdly, it powers the church of God to grow into the holy body of Christ. So three questions to respond, just three for us to think about. How are you feeding on God's word? Because if we're going to be teaching God's word, we need to be feeding God's word. That's what protects us. That's what grows us. How are we involved in God's word? Are we, are we regularly eating a, a healthy diet of God's word, or are we, like, binging on it, you know, once a Sunday, I mean, once a week on God's word? Or are we maybe perhaps just eating junk food all the time, not even God's word? We're just, we're, we'd rather read, you know, some, you know, some other book rather than the God's book, and then... Uh, how are you sharing God's word with others? How do you, if we're charged with making disciples of Jesus Christ to proclaim through the word of God, are we conveying the word of God? When we speak, when we teach, when we disciple, are we pointing people to Christ and his word? And then thirdly, uh, what, charge, what changes maybe as we begin a new year? What changes may the Lord may have in your life as you uh, would make to change in your, in your devotion to the Lord and your response to the word of God? For the church of Christ, that is all of us, need the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and these truths. And we ask that you continue to cause the word of God to be that which is a, a, a vital part of our ministries so that this church would be equipped to do the work of, the, of making disciples of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.